Holy, holy, holy are you, God Almighty. One day every knee will bow before you, but we don't want to wait until that day. Let it be today when our knees bow before you and we rise with all of the saints around the world and all of the angels in heaven and we declare that you and you alone are worthy. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of all worship. You are worthy of all adoration because you are who you are. The holy God, sovereign, unchanging, perfect in every way. And we bow before you in worship. As your people chosen by your grace, this morning we pray especially for your chosen people, Israel, as well. We pray for Israel as they face very unexpected and very challenging moments right now. We ask that you would give peace to Jerusalem that you would bring justice in a land that seems to be ripped apart in so many ways. We ask that through all of this uncertainty, many more of your chosen people would put their faith in Jesus, their Messiah. Father, we pray for our young people today as they finish their retreat up north. We ask that you would work in their lives in powerful ways, that this would not simply be a weekend of fun, being with friends and having a lot of things to do, but this would be a weekend when they meet you in a new way. That it would be a benchmark weekend in their lives when they make some of them for the very first time a commitment to follow you as Lord and Savior. For others, that they would deal with sin in their lives. For others, that they would commit themselves completely to you for whatever that it means in the days to come. And Father, now as we open your word, we ask once again that you would open our hearts. By your spirit, speak into our lives what you have written in your word so that we can be to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, we begin with verse 17. As you open your Bibles, I'm sure that many of you, like me, love to rehearse and recount the promises that the Lord has given us so many promises that we can't even remember them all. He has said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. He has said that as we use what he has placed in our hands for his glory, he will supply every single need that we have according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He has said that when we face trials and temptations, he will always provide a way of escape. Promise after promise in the scriptures. But what do we do when the circumstances of our lives seem not to fit with the promises of God? 
and we wonder where those promises are. What do we do when at the end of the month money seems to be running out and we have tried to be careful? We have given to God what belongs to Him. We have been fiscally conservative and yet at the end of the month we're struggling to pay bills. What do we do when we pray and pray and pray for children and we don't see answers? What do we do when we're sitting at a stoplight and a drunk runs into our back end and now we've got all of that to deal with? What do we do when the circumstances of life don't seem to fit with the promises of God. Well, when the promises of God and the circumstances of life collide, faith lives by the promises. That's what we see in verses 17 to 22. When the promises of God and the circumstances of life collide, faith lives by the promises. If you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. I just want us to read these verses. And four of the patriarchs are given to us as examples of this truth. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That was the promise, and God said, offer him to me. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, two sons who you would not think are going to make much of their lives, either one of them. By faith, Jacob when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the very end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave them directions concerning his bones. Faith prevails when the world makes no sense to us. When the world that we are struggling with, the world that is our world, seems to collide with the promises of God, faith always prevails. Look at the examples here. First of all, Abraham. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that he would give them descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore, through one particular son whose name was Isaac. Not any son, but through Isaac. Genesis 17, verse 16. I will bless her, speaking of Sarah, God says, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Down to verse 18, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. 
Abraham had a desire for his son Ishmael, who he had given birth to on his own means, by his own way, using the handmaiden of Sarah. Verse 19, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God goes on to say in verse 20, I will bless Ishmael, but he says in verse 21, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And then just a few chapters later in Genesis, Genesis 22, God calls Abraham, he says, here am I, in verse 2, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. The Lord makes it so crystal clear. This is your only son of you and your wife. His name, Abraham, is Isaac. Don't mix up the names. And I know you love him. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. The promise of God. I'm going to give you so many descendants through this child, and my covenant with you will be through this son. But the circumstances of life, give me that son and offer him as a burnt offering. When the circumstances of life collide with the promises of God, faith holds on to the promises. How could Abraham possibly have followed through with this command? The very next verse, verse 3 says, and early in the morning he arose and he took his son. How could he have done that? Because we're told in verse 19, he believed that God could even give him his son back by raising him from the dead. He held on to the promise Abraham had never seen a resurrection. He had never observed anyone being raised from the dead. But he knew what God had promised, and he held on to the promise despite the circumstances of his life. I wonder if Abraham wondered that morning, what's Sarah going to say about this? Her only son. To lose a child is one of the most painful things any parent can experience. This is Sarah's and Abraham's only son. And to lose him at the hands of your husband, it would have ruined their marriage. It would have ruined their life. Circumstances flew in the face of the promises of God, but Abraham hung on to the promises. He could have thought that God was just testing him, just teasing him. Maybe, maybe he thought he misunderstood God, misheard him. No, he rose early in the morning, and he took his son. You know, when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, his hometown that we looked at last week, he surrendered his past to the Lord. But when Abraham was commanded to give up Isaac, He surrendered his future to the Lord. And in both of those, the only way he could do it was to hold on to the promise. We too 
are called to surrender, whether we like it or not. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We've been called to deny ourselves, our own desires, our own passions, our own plans for our lives, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And when we do that, we surrender the past, and we surrender our plans for the future, but we hold on to the promises. When the events in our lives don't make sense to us, his unchangeable promises is where we lodge our faith. There are very practical places that we need to do that. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, when ye bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about what you should, how you should defend yourself, what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Brothers and sisters, how many of us are anxious about sharing our faith because we're not sure what we will say if they ask us a certain question. We're not sure what we'll say if our boss says this isn't the time and the place to be talking about what you believe, just do your work. Or we're in a classroom in a university and the professor is saying anyone who believes in creation simply doesn't pay any attention to all the evidence we've got about evolution. And we're afraid to speak up. And yet Jesus said, don't be afraid, my spirit will give you the words to say when you need to speak. Jesus has promised that he will care for us, but sometimes our fear shows that we're not relying on the promise. Romans chapter 8, verses that we know so well, verses 28 and 29, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And yet sometimes when things fall apart in our lives, we really wonder if everything is working together for good. But what is that good? He tells us in verse 29, the very next verse, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. He wants us to be like Jesus. He wants to make us look like Jesus. And he will take every single situation and difficulty and trial that comes into our lives and use it to help us become more and more like Jesus. Can we hang on to that promise? When everything seems to fall apart, when it seems like the circumstances of life collide with that promise, we hold on to the promise. That's what faith does. One example of faith prevailing when the world makes no sense is Abraham, but another example is Joseph. There at the bottom in verse 22, by faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his, his bones that when they go out, they would take his bones with them. Why is Joseph mentioned in this context? Well, Joseph had received promises. Remember, he had had dreams, dreams that showed that he would be prominent in his family and his family would actually bow down to him. But Joseph's world fell apart and those dreams seemed to fall, fall apart when he was sold into slavery. The promises of God seemed to collide with the circumstances of life and the circumstances just got worse. Potiphar's wife lied about him and he ends up in jail. 
So he's a slave in jail in a foreign land. But he held on to the faith of the promises, and God spared him, moved him out of that jail, elevated him to the second position of authority in all of Egypt. But when he comes to the end of his life, now he sees the promises have come true. His family has bowed before him because he is ruler in Egypt, but his mind is still set on the promise that God gave to his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather Abraham that that land of Canaan would be theirs. And so he, realizing that he is the cause in one sense for all of the Israelites now to be in Egypt, they came as 70, now they are probably several hundred by the time Joseph talks about the exodus. But he says, don't lodge yourselves here. God has another promise that that land will be ours. And when you go, take my bones with you. When the promises of God and the circumstances of life collide, faith holds on to the promises. And faith acts based on God's promises, not on our preferences. We so often in life make choices by what we, cho what we want, what we prefer. But faith lives by promise, not by preference. Think of Abraham again, offering up Isaac, through whom it had been said your offspring would be named. The last thing Abraham wanted to do was to offer up his son. That certainly was not his preference. In fact, this was a point in Abraham's life when finally everything had come together. Abraham and Sarah were full emotionally. The sky was blue. There were no clouds in their, their sky anymore. Their hearts were full. And it's when everything was just as they had longed for, God tested them. They needed to live by faith. And sometimes for you and me, it's when everything seems to be going right that suddenly the bottom falls out. And when that happens, our faith is based on God's promises, not our preferences, not what we wish life would be like. And our faith has to trust the whole of what God has told us, not just the moment that we are in. I think of young adults who are looking for a spouse, and quite often I have talked to young adults who say, I have looked for a long time for a believing spouse, and I can't find a believer. But there's this man or this woman that I'm really attracted to, and we get along so well. They're not a believer yet, but, and yet, what has God said? Do not be unequally yoked. Can we hold on to the promise that God knows what is best for us? Will faith hold on to that, or will the circumstances of our lives and our preferences cause us to do something that does not honor God? Sometimes we push hard to get what we want. Think of what Malachi said to the people of God. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
God's talking about food in his house. And yet how many of us feel like, I, I, I want to give to God, but right now I have to pay my bills first. I, I have to get out of debt. As soon as I get out of debt, I will set a practice of, God didn't say someday when you feel like you're in a better financial sitting, then you bring in the tithe. He said, bring it in right now. God says, I want food in my house. He knows what your house and my house needs, but his house is the priority. And then he says, then put me to the test. When you do this, you will put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need, I will meet your need. But God says, you do what I tell you to do first, not second, not later. Faith acts based on God's promises, not on our preferences, not on how we would like it to be. God calls us to allegiance to him, to obedience to him, to sacrifice, just as he called Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And it's in trusting him and obeying him fully that faith is full-orbed and most glorifying to God. God gives us the example of Isaac in verse 20. Isaac, by faith, blessed his sons. But his preference was always for Esau. Esau was a man's man. Esau was strong. He was a hunter. He was ruddy. He, he was a man's man. Jacob was, I hope this isn't offensive, but he was sort of a mommy's boy. Apparently, he had very soft skin. And Isaac preferred Esau, no question. And even when he was going to bless them, he wanted to bless Esau first. But God had promised to Rebekah that the older would serve the younger. Esau would serve Jacob. And so was as, Jacob, as Isaac was getting ready to bless Esau, you remember the story, Rebekah helps Jacob deceive his father. He wears Esau's clothes and he puts some goat skin on his soft, on his no hair skin around his neck and his hands so that his father thinks this is Esau. Esau is deceived. He blesses Isaac. So we say, why is, Esau used, why is Isaac used as an example here? Because Isaac blessed Jacob only because he got deceived. Well, when Esau came into the room later and realizes what's happened, he begs of his father to change it, and his father Isaac said, yes, I have blessed Jacob, and yes, he will be blessed. Isaac finally relinquished his preference to God. We're told in that verse that Isaac was trembling in his old age, realizing that God's ways always prevail. He did not undo the blessing he had given to Jacob. He blessed Esau as well, but Jacob had the birthright. We have Joseph given as an example here in the last verse. He had lived in Egypt all but the first 17 years of his life. Egypt is the place where he had excelled. In Egypt, he had success. In Egypt, he was rich and he was famous. In Egypt, he had flourished. 
yet he held on to the promise of God that there was a promised land and it wasn't Egypt. And so Joseph in that last verse speaks about an exodus which would have seemed impossible. The people of Israel are now located in good land and the promised land was not in a good place at that time. It was going through drought. The people of Israel, to move hundreds of them, they would become well over a million of them by 400 years later. How could that possibly happen? But Joseph, even though Egypt had become his home, it never became his real place of hope. His hope was in the promises that God had given. So he speaks about an exodus. Brothers and sisters, this world can never capture our hearts. The promises of God, of a, of a city that, whose founder and builder is God himself, that needs to capture our hearts. Just as the promised land captured Joseph's heart, even though he was at the top of the world in Egypt. He knew there was something better. Faith acts based on God's promises, not on our preferences. And boy, is that ever challenged because we have so many preferences and we want God to meet our preferences. So often our prayers are directed that way. But faith holds on to the promises of God. And then faith finally looks beyond our lifetime to God's promised future. It's what we've seen all the way through Hebrews 11 and we will see all the way to the end. Faith always looks forward. It looks beyond our lifetime to God's promised future. Abraham, in those first four verses, is looking beyond the death of Isaac, who he's been told to offer up to a resurrection of Isaac. He's looking to the future. Jacob, in verse 20, 21, when he's dying, as he is ready to die, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. The Scriptures specifically tell us when he's dying because at the end of his life, he's looking beyond. Jacob had been blessed with 12 sons. But now he takes these two sons of Joseph and he blesses them. And he actually blesses them above his sons. First Chronicles chapter 5 tells us that when he blessed Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, he gave them the firstborn's blessing that actually had belonged to Reuben. You have to go all the way to First Chronicles to find that. His firstborn son, Reuben, lost his, his birthright. It goes to his grandchildren, who he now claims as his own children. And once again, as he blessed them, he crossed his hands and blessed the young one, Ephraim, with his right hand, the older one, Manasseh, with his left. Joseph said, no, Father, you've got it wrong. Turn your hands around. And he said, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. You see, he had been blessed as the younger. And now he's blessing the youngest of all of them as having the birthright. That's all by faith. 
as he's dying, still walking by faith, still seeing that God's plans are not our plans. God's culture is not our culture. And his faith looks far beyond his culture and his life to God's promised future. Joseph, verse 22, at the end of his life, we're told. Again, the Spirit of God wants us to know at the very end of his life, he predicts the exodus and says, take my bones with you. You see, all the way to the very end of life, faith still looks forward because we have been given as believers on this side of the cross eternal life. We're already living for eternity. And so we don't see life in the bounds of 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is. No, our life is going way beyond that. And so at the end of life, these men are still living by faith. I love the picture of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 as he is being stoned, full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven, and what does he see? The glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Oh, that the last vision that we have in our eyes as we are taking our last breath would be of eternity and of Jesus. Faith always looks forward beyond our lifetime to the future that God has promised. When we live by this kind of faith, faith simplifies our lives because all of the circumstances and the problems of our lives cause us to wonder, what should I do? Where should I go? But faith simply holds on to the promises God has given and keeps moving forward, regardless of what look, life looks like around us. As we close this morning, I'd like you to stand with me. And I want us to, to read together. If you have your Bibles open, Hebrews chapter 11, first of all, verse 1. I would love for us as a congregation to, as we go through Hebrews, memorize three verses. First of all, Hebrews 11, verse 1, and then the next verses from 2 Corinthians will be on the screen. Let's read together. If, you've, if you get your Bibles open, some of you know it by heart, but you may know it in a different version. Hebrews 11, verse 1, now faith is the assurance, let's say it together, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And now on the screen, a beautiful commentary on this faith that always looks forward is found in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. Let's read it together. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Faith always looks forward. The unseen is just as real, in fact, more real than what we see. And so the afflictions that we're dealing with right now are simply preparing us for a weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Brothers and sisters, when the promises of God and the circumstances of our lives collide, 
Faith hangs on to the promises. Please remain standing as I pray. Lord Jesus, we are so glad that our faith can hold on to your promises regardless of what happens in our lives, regardless of the unexpected troubles that come, regardless of the unexpected diagnosis we hear from a doctor, regardless of the events that come that seem to collide with what you have promised. Help our faith always to hang on to your promises, just as these saints of old held on to the promises, regardless of what their life looked like. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.